Welcome to CII Podcasts. Hello everyone, this is Jayan Sriram, welcoming you to a special B20 episode of the CII Podcast. As you may know, CII is the secretariat for the B20 India Engagement Group. Through this important platform, B20 India is facilitating conversations on economic growth and development opportunities through various B20 India task forces and action council. Space is the largest resource in the universe and it needs to be protected and made accessible for all. As the digital transformation gains further momentum, more and more countries and citizens around the globe are becoming dependent on space as a resource for their economies, for their societies, for the health and well-being of all life on the planet and for peace in the universe. As India holds the G20 presidency, what are the priorities that it is focusing on for strengthening the space sector to achieve sustainable development goals? Let's find out in discussion today with Candice Johnson, co-chair of the B20 India Task Force on Technology, Innovation and R&D. Candice is also the co-founder of SES Astra in 1983, Europe's first private satellite television system and chief, and chief architect of SES Global. She's also the founder of Laurel Teleport Europe, Europe's first private trans-border satellite telecommunications network and a founding team member of Iridium, the world's first private mobile satellite telecommunication system. She also founded Europe Online, the world's first internet-based online service in 1993. Thank you so much for making the time today, Candice, and joining us in the CII podcast. It's my very great pleasure to be with you. And I must also say to uh, co-chair, to be a co-chair of the B20 Technology Innovation and R&D Task Force. It is um, a wonderful group of uh, people really coming from all around the world to help uh, inform the G20 um, of what the necessary things are to do to be able to leverage technology, innovation, and R&D for the world. Right, thank you for that. And you know, as I mentioned in my introduction, you've had a, in a very illustrious career in this sector. You're one of the pioneers. Um, so I want to start with a kind of a broad question about um, you know, how we think about space uh, today and the possibilities that it holds. Um, the pandemic has shown us that disruptive events can bring life on Earth to a halt. And, you know, that kind of brings an urgency to how we think about space. So how can space technology step in to take care of such situations in the future? So, you know, I have been in space since I was five years old, which was 1957 when the Sputnik was launched. My father and mother gave me a toy Sputnik to put on the Christmas tree and Santa Claus was inside of it. So I was convinced from that day on that everything good came from space. And my father was, uh, he worked on the first satellite systems. He worked for the President Kennedy, the Apollo mission. And also then he did the first private satellite system for the world um, in 1970. So I have grown up in a family where we always um, thought that space was contributing to the world, to technology, to peace, um, and that it was a very, very valuable resource. So 
Yes, the pandemic showed some people that space was important, but for those of us who have been working in space literally for the last 62 years, 63 years, we um, we have a different view. And I think that that's important because if we were just going to start now to say, oh, well, what should we be doing in space? That that would be very bad. And so that's a little bit part of the R&D part, the research and development part of our task force, is that governments have been doing a lot of R&D um, in, you know, in space for decades. And the commercial uh, part, the commercialization of space has actually also been being done, as I say, already from 1970. But what we are seeing is that there is a heightened awareness of the need to continue the R&D in space. And on the other hand, for the private sector, the business sector, to be able to take advantage of the R&D that has been done to provide truly valuable uh, products, services, uh, inventions for the world. I would also like to remind everybody that, you know, when we went to the moon, we, we got so much already. We got the, um, the, the mobile uh, phones. We got uh, freeze-dried um, uh, foods and 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 um, and you know coffee. <laughs> we got uh, Gore-Tex. Um, so we received you know so much just in those developments. And now, of course, today what we are doing in space is that we are using and leveraging uh, the microgravity for experimentation for the pharmaceutical uh, industry, for the agricultural industry, for the new materials industry. And of course, um, we are also looking at um, how, seeing how we can really provide energy also from the sun literally in space so as i say my perspective is a little bit different but i'm happy that the awareness not of space and what it can do for mothership earth has been heightened through such people as you know elon musk and um Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos, those are kind of the three people that people talk about, but um, that the governments have really for so long been doing R&D in space. Thank you so much for that answer. I think it took in a lot. And I'm so glad that you brought up that initial trip to the moon and, you know, all the technologies that arose as a kind of a, you know, perhaps a byproduct. And 
of course the and I, you mentioned of course that there's lots of private sector you know interest now in in space you mentioned the key figures involved in that um and i think you know a lot of that conversation is well in a in a way linked to linked to climate change so i want to ask you what role can these technologies play in combating in combating climate change and catalyzing more climate friendly growth you mentioned of course that initiative to perhaps harness energy directly from the sun but uh, perhaps you could expand on that yes so um first of all the climate change and the environment are i believe the definitely two of the most pressing problems that our global economy and society must absolutely must win um for decades here again there have been what we call earth observation satellites and i'm very happy to say that you know india with uh, the largest remote sensing satellite system in the world has been playing a crucial uh role in this you can only fix a problem if you know what is going on and if you can measure it and if you can see the trends and thanks to such a uh, countries as india also europe has been very active in earth observation um the middle east has been very active in earth observation and we can see then the weather patterns we can see the co2 emissions we can see through the um the uh th through the sensors that the earth is definitely warming <laughs> we don't need to have all of the uh, extreme climate to realize that um we we have been able to track this now here again you know for decades the the thing that what we're trying to do now and i believe that india is particularly well suited for this is that because these satellite systems have so much data they collect data and th this is what we call big data and all of this data doesn't do any good unless it is analyzed unless you use ai to be able to have actionable data where do we need to put our resources how can we use the data that we have received from the remote sensing satellites to make better um agriculture to have precision agriculture um how can we uh, inform people ahead of time that a tsunami uh may be coming um uh you know so so how can we uh also make certain and and see perhaps pipeline breaks before they happen so all of this is with the satellite sensing 
Now, what is exciting is that we may also be able to harness the the solar energy from space and to bring it down to earth and there are a number of projects that are happening now where just imagine literally solar farms in space and what is also happening just to you know kind of precede that is that because of robotics because of 3d printing because of the miniaturization of components everything is becoming much cheaper beforehand the technology was there we could bring the solar power we could bring it together and we could use microwave to bring it down to earth and then to put it in the grid the problem though was that it was too expensive but because of the decrease of everything that i talked about those prices combined with the launchers and you know easier quicker faster launchers we are seeing that this solar power generated from space will be absolutely competitive in about 2040 2040 you might say well that's a long way away but that is competitive we are already sending now first um first uh trials into space to uh to have this be done and this is you know if we get it right you know we're looking at hopefully being able to provide about 25% of the world's energy needs in 2040 it will get even better afterwards but already by that time we should be you know having clean energy uh from the sun that's really fascinating and i think that's and i'm so glad that you sort of explained that in detail i think that's that's a thing that's a development that not many people know about and it's a very tantalizing possibility and so thank you so much for that um i'd like to come uh, i'd like to move now to um to india and in your opinion what are the noticeable achievements of india in the space sector which you feel can be replicated in other b20 countries or picked up for collaboration well um you know of course uh i was as you had said i was one of the founding members of iridium and so we were uh, actually one of the first users of your uh launcher uh, outside of india and uh that was you know that was great and i still remember the excitement that we experienced you know when we were working with india on that i, I mean you have done so much in terms of launchers in terms of the satellites and particularly as i had mentioned beforehand the remote sensing uh satellite system um in but this may surprise you where india really has a usp is in 
its software capabilities, in its software talent. Now, why is this? Because it was very funny. I, I, I'm the chair of Seraphim Space, which is the world's largest space tech fund. Uh, we have about 100 investments in space companies. And I asked a friend of mine, Anne Wimblatt, who is kind of known as the enterprise software guru of the world, to be on our advisory board. And she said, Candace, you know, I, I'm a software person. I'm not a satellite person. I go, Anne, soft satellites are becoming software. And this is really true. So we already have software defined satellite and so you know just imagine the Indian talent working on making satellites be totally flexible you know the problem today is when you launch something it's in space and so you can't change it but now with these software defined satellites you can be totally more flexible it's not it's not as good as, you know, as it could be now. And so we, re we really, really need your help. Another thing that we are seeing is that, as you had mentioned earlier, uh, Jant, the space is a resource and frequencies and bandwidth are a resource. And so when we are gathering all of this data, two things happen. One, it takes a lot of bandwidth to bring it down to earth so that it can be analyzed. And that also then implies that it's not real time, even though you'd think it would be real time, it's not. So now what we are seeing is that we are seeing satellite systems with onboard processing so that only the data, so it's already been processed, that actionable data that I was talking about earlier is now processed. Another place, you know, where I see, and, and you, you know, you were so right to talk about one world, one space, and I'm so glad you, you, you said that. Um, I have been, um, you know, as I said, I've been in space kind of really all of my life. And so when the James Webb telescope, and by the way, you know, tons of software, you know, on that telescope for us to be able to receive all of those, you know, images. Um, when, when that happened, I had this, you know, kind of epiphany where I said, whoa, you know, we now have deep space, near space with satellites and the earth and this is one space and we need to have what i call networks for the universe and so because we will have to communicate with very very far away deep space near space and the world planet and so we will have to rely on things like AI, things like the metaverse. Um, uh, Francis Cancross wrote the book, The Death of Distance, 
we are going to have to have the death of time. And software can do this. And part of this, when I talked about robotics and 3D printing, so that we can you know, make all of these things in space and be able to continue and to go and explore, all of this is based on software. So that is where I think that India can lead, is already leading, and that of course it can inspire other countries. Um, I, you know, I'm not so into, people always say, well, we want to be like Silicon Valley. No, be, be who you are and focus on your talents. And so, you know, another country may have their own talents. You know, I always talk about Africa, for instance. You know, Africa has found out ways to deal with famines, to deal with um, um, pandemics, to, you know, to deal with so many problems that are facing the other continents. And we need to speak with them to understand. Um, China has had great um, uh, advances in medicine. Um, you know, so we need to look at what they are doing. Uh, and of course, you know, India as well. So, um, so, but I think that your USP and one that you really, really, you know, can take the lead here and um, is this, is, is the realization that space isn't about hardware, it's about software. Thank you, that's really well said. And of course, you know, it makes total logical sense in some ways to think that our USP in this sector would be software, but it's still fascinating to learn about all the different ways that it can be useful and, and it can be applied. Yes. So, um, I'd like to move on again uh, to, to a larger B20 India theme, which is RAISE, Responsible, Accelerated, Innovative, Sustainable, Equitable Business. Um, that exemplifies, this exemplifies India's strong commitment. Um, what are your views on the role played by India in driving meaningful discussions and shaping policies that can contribute to global economic progress? Well, um, if I may, I would like to again focus my remark on um, my, my remarks on space because as people realize more and more what space can and must do for the preservation of our world, it is then needing to have policies put in place that are not existing today. And so India could really play an important role in creating the new rules that need to happen. Um, you know, the rules that we are working on in space are about 30 years old. And so just as, you know, 
there there was the law of the sea conference um we we need to have you know the law of space conference now we are having this the united nations um has the you know united nations outer space um you know agency but it always takes a leader and i think that india being an independent country can really say look we have to make certain that we preserve space we that it is safe that it is clean that it is accessible that it is peaceful and i think you are perfectly positioned to do this and that that is really um you know we it, in in all aspects it is fulfilling the raise goals i would also like to say that um you know space also does actually fulfill every single one of the un sustainable development goals and so you know going forward when we are doing our climate policy when we are doing our environment policy we need to make certain that space is part of that as you said jan one world one space and um for the cop 26 i'm a member of the board of the international chamber of commerce the executive board of the international chamber of commerce and so we had written a statement for cop 26 and i looked at it and i said oh there's nothing about space here <laughs> so you know i wrote three paragraphs and we got it in um so we must become more aware and by the way you know um when i was 6 i was building my own transistor radio and then um you know i don't know about 15 years ago i was helping 6 year olds build their own computers and i think that you know to have our next generation build their own satellites and launchers you know this is this is this is great and 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 so you know here again if we can inspire you know the world to say okay you know what are you doing to make certain that your uh, youth is 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 um going to be able to fulfill all of our goals and our challenge and meet our challenges and you know building rockets and 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 satellites and 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 space stations um is is great and it will help uh increase the 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 technology and perhaps as i just kind of a little closing remark um you know everybody always thinks i'm a i'm a technologist or that i'm an innovator etc um so i have very fixed ideas about this i think first of all r&d needs to be done by governments but it needs to be done by governments in communication with the private sector 
because we can tell them, you know, don't spend all of your money here, spend it here. And this is very important. It really is. Innovation is great, but here again, you need to make certain that what you are innovating is going to serve a purpose. And technology is also great, but unless it is really being used to bring about positive change, then it's not worth it. And so, you know, having grown up in technology all my life, I know that that is not the important thing. What is important is, for instance, when I did do SES Astra, the first private transporter television system in the world, it was to offer people freedom of choice. When I did Iridium, it was to be able to give universal access to everyone around the world. When I did Europe Online, the world's first internet online service, it was because, and this was 1993, as you rightly said, it was because I wanted mothers to speak with mothers and to not have to worry if they spoke German or if they spoke, you know, Hindi. I wanted them to be able to communicate just like that. Now, it took a little while, but, you know, that's what we are doing. And, um, and, and then also with my wonderful little, not little, satellite system that I've done now recently in the, um, in the Pacific, um, you know, we are bringing high throughput broadband internet to all of these islands, Vanuatu, Tonga, you know, that, that, that had not had any internet. And now we have, have schools and hospitals, etc. So, you know, always remember that it must serve a purpose we talk about purpose-driven, mission-driven, um, and if you keep that in mind, you really will succeed. Thank you so much. Those are very inspiring remarks, and thank you also for grounding those remarks, first from the space sector and then sort of building out from there on what it really means. Um, and thank you so much for this discussion today. It's been really fascinating and insightful. Um, thank you for making time for the CIA podcast. It was my great pleasure, and I'm looking forward to being in person with you at the B20 and to meet you all. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.